Amen. Y'all give it up for David. Thank you so much, man. So good. Hey, uh, welcome to the church building that Doxa meets in. Salt Company is the campus ministry of Doxa Church. Um, and a question that I might need to clear up is what the heck is up for some of y'all who are new here? Welcome. What the heck's up with the rock wall and the trampolines? What the, what, where did those come from? Okay, so uh, when we got this building, initially it was a like sky zone type thing. Uh, and so when we were like, seeing how do we turn this into like a place that could house the church that is Doxa, um, we decided to keep the rock wall and keep the trampoline so that we might be able to bless the community. So last Friday night, about 175 people from the surrounding community here in, uh, right around Doxa, up and down Rim Rock and around in these areas gathered here just to kind of have like a free night to just bless those families. Last night, our youth ministry gathered and hung out. And, and tonight, you guys are going to have the chance to get out there to open gym tonight after Salt Company hangout. We got a cereal bar popping out there too. It's going to be a sweet time. It's a great Great chance for you to get to meet somebody here uh, around you, but I just can't wait to hang after Saul. Um, before we hop into the text, I wonder if any of you have ever had someone do the thing where they correct you so many times over and 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 over again that it just becomes like just point blank annoying. Like you send the voice text, right? You dictate the text and then all they send you back is like the, hey, you didn't put the apostrophe in your or whatever the heck it is, your your punctuation preferences or whatever. I, 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 I just... I said one time I said de jupe instead of de jope and there's people that still haven't let it go yet. All right. It was one time. No, I, 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 um, I've had those moments. I vividly remember one time uh, in the college ministry that I was at when I was in college, I actually went out to help uh, a church plant in Kentucky with a few of my friends and we linked up with a few other people and uh, we were roughing it y'all. We were like living like in and out of the church. So like shower at the church, sleep on the pews, like the whole nine, right? So we were out in the community and whenever we'd come back from being out in the community uh, of, of this area in Kentucky, we uh, would say uh, that we were going back to the church, right? That makes sense because because communication, right? Like that's where we're living. We're going back to the church. And there's this guy, Quentin. Oh, Quentin. Okay, uh, there's a guy, Quentin. And it didn't matter what was going on. Like whenever someone said, we're going back to the church, he'd be like, in any conversation, he'd like turn around and be like, don't you mean the church building? And it was like, what? And it would be like anything. He'd be, he'd be like, he'd be like, I like, like, like he would literally be doing something in the, he'd be sharing the gospel with someone and someone would say, we're going back to the church soon. And he'd be like, don't you mean building? And it's like, dude, like we get it. Okay, we get it. And I'm asking you like to not do that, right? We're going to talk about the church tonight. Um, but it got, so, I was so bad at conflict when I was like 20 years old. I had no idea I'd enter into it healthily at all. So I, I had this question. I just stuffed everything deep, deep down. And now I'm still dealing with it in front of all of you. 10 years later. Um, so I, sorry, I, I, I did have this question. Well, every time he said that though, I, I did have this question that, that's on the screen that if it's not a building, then, then what is it? Like we talk about the church and, and, and I, I think specifically for us, after we've been on campus for four weeks and now we're in a building that houses Doxa Church, why d does that matter? 
So I just wanted to take a week uh, between series. We start a new series next week. Uh, it's going to be sweet. Talk about it here in just a moment. Just to answer this question as we're coming into like meeting at Doxa as Salt Company, that if the church isn't a building, then why? Then what? 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 What is it? What is it? Um, this this uh, question could be answered in a number of ways. There's a number of like metaphors and pictures kind of throughout Scripture, but I think a great place to to go, and you might agree with me, is what David just read. We're just going to go to the words of Jesus. What does Jesus say the church is? We're gonna walk through his words in Matthew 16 and pay attention to a few things. And I'm just gonna warn you from the front. Uh, Jesus has some stuff to say that may sound a little bit intense. Uh, You may hear Jesus describe the church and say, I'm not sure if I'd want to go to that church. You actually, I think this will happen for some of you. You may hear Jesus describe the church and be frustrated that that wasn't actually your experience in church. My hope and prayer, just as I've been thinking about this message the last couple of days and, and praying for you all, is that you would have a picture, a vision of the church so clearly given from the words of Jesus himself that you'd be willing to orient your life now and for the next several decades around this picture of the church that Jesus gives. So I'm gonna just give you my definition of the church on the front end and then just point out a few things as we walk through the text. This is drawn from the words of Jesus. Here's our working definition. Note takers, this is for you. A church is a gathered people who care about what God cares about. And I think there's at least four things that Jesus says about what the church is in this text. So let's get after it. If the word doesn't do the work, the work won't get done. I'm going to reread what David just said and we're going to get into it. Matthew 16, 13 through 18. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And, and, and they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, some say Jeremiah, others one of the other prophets. But you, Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? So Peter, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. I also say this to you, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not overpower it. So here's the first thing, the first thing that Jesus says about the church. First thing that Jesus says about the church. The church is a gathered people. So oftentimes when people kind of give their picture of what the church is, they, they kind of start to think about some images like uh, the church. Some people will say like the church is like a cruise ship. Like there's a staff and there's all these programs that are there to just kind of like be there for your comfort, for your sake, for your... I, I, was, ta- I was walking down State Street and I heard a, a girl a few weeks ago talking about the church behind me. She said, they've got all this stuff there that, that's for me. Everything there that's catered for me. I don't love that, but it's a way that people think about the church sometimes. Others think about the church like a hospital. And I actually really think this is a, is, a, is a great picture. Like it's a place for sick people to come and experience healing uh, from the community of Jesus and Jesus Christ himself. To others, they think about the church like a, like a battleship, right? It's, it's deploying people on mission. It's a beautiful picture actually because we send churches from Doxa to Ann Arbor to Osaka, Japan and in a few years by God's grace to Milwaukee. But I, I, I think these pictures can be helpful in defining what some churches do, but fall incredibly short of actually unpacking and describing what churches are. Because in each of these descriptions, the church is seen as a place. And I think that one of the most significant misconceptions in the broader Christian culture in the West today is that people hear church and they think place. I need you to understand, at no point in the Bible when the word translated church is used, is it ever referring to a place. 
They always say the church in a place, but they never use the church to refer to a place. The word used in our text this evening that David read, upon this rock I will build my church, is not indicative of the church being a place. The word used here is ecclesia. It literally means an assembly. The church, according to the language of Jesus Christ, is not a place, it's a people. And we don't make this mistake like anywhere else, do we, right? We're not, nobody's out there saying, yo, I can't wait to see Camp Randall uh, go against the Northwestern football team. Like, that's a weird sentence, right? No, you don't even know what I'm talking about because it's like, that's the football game that's happening this weekend, guys. On Saturday, right, Northwestern is not playing Camp Randall. That's a weird way of thinking about it. it. You wouldn't say, I've got tickets, I've got seats to the Wisconsin Badgers football team. But that's, that's, that's a weird way. That's not, no, you don't. You don't have tickets to be on the team. No, I've got tickets to be on the team. That doesn't make any sense. Why? What happens in that context is you mix up the place and the people. We don't do that anywhere else. That, that's like absurd to consider. These terms aren't ex- considered exchangeable in any other concept, but the church is often considered a place before it's considered a people. Here's how I know. We say things like, I, I go to church or I watch church, which is like saying, I go to people or I watch people. And some of y'all watch people and there's no judgment. Like, that's fine. Like, I get it. Like, do your thing. But, but There's a difference between saying I go to church and saying I'm a part of a church or I'm a part of the church. Why? Because an assembly, as it's used here, isn't something that you simply attend. It's something you participate in. In fact, this word here used by Jesus has some strong connotations. At first, it's not a religious word that Jesus is using. Like he's using a militaristic term used for the calling out and assembly of an army. Don't go too far down that trail, okay? The, the idea here is that they would be a people who were called together and gathered for a specific reason. A gathered people who would know what they were about. A people gathered with a purpose. That's a church. When we consider the church to be a place and not a people, we misunderstand the purpose of the organiz- organism that we're observing. The question then that should rise to our mind after hearing this is like, why? (laughs) Why would Jesus use this word, a word with so much strength to describe the assembly of the church? And the answer is actually in the text. It's because of what the church was built on. Or perhaps another way of saying this, it's because of what the assembly or the people were gathered around, right? Anytime people gather, there's a reason for that gathering. There's a purpose for that gathering. It would be really weird if you walked up on like a group of 200 people and you asked them, hey, what are you all doing here? And they said, nothing. And you'd be like, that is really strange, <laughs> right? Because people gather for, for a purpose. So, so why does the church gather? What does the church gather around? Our answer is found in what Jesus says here and refers to as the rock. So in some traditions, the understanding is that the rock being talked about here is Peter, whose name Jesus has changed to literally mean uh, to, to literally mean a type of, of rock. And I, I can see how you get there, but I actually take issue with that because if Peter's the rock and you know anything about Peter, frankly, the whole thing would have crumbled, <laughs> right? Like Peter's great, but he's kind of a goofball, right? And he doesn't build the church and he doesn't carry the church. Further in the original language, there's a difference between Peter as Petros, which means a, a, a small stone, and the rock here that Jesus refers to as Petra, which is actually communicating the idea of a foundational boulder. They're two different things. So what is this rock? When Jesus says the rock, he's talking about the confession that Peter has just made. What's the rock that the church is built on? What's the rock that the assembly gathers around? It is built on and gathered around a confession of faith that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the son of the living God. 
That's why the church, as Jesus describes it, is founded on the rock. It's a people who hold and gather around this confession that Jesus is Messiah. He's the Savior. He is God. The church is a people that Christ has gathered for himself. Christ's people make up the church. And there's a beautiful picture of this in Revelation 7, 9. Check this out. 9 and 10. After I looked and there was a mass multitude from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. This is John's picture of the gathered church at the end of time. It is, it is a picture of every tribe and every nation. Here's another way to say what this church looked like. This church looked like, the church looks like unity and diversity within the gathering. That as we gather, as Doxa gathers on Sunday, different ethnicities, different cultures, different political leanings, different languages, childhoods, biases, socioeconomic statuses, health conditions, ages, generations. There is diversity at almost every conceivable area and level of life, but there is one thing that unifies above everything else, the confession of the rock. Jesus is the Savior and Jesus is God. It's what the church gathers around. Now, important question that we have to address here. Does that mean that if you're not a Christian, that you can't come to the gathering of a church? The answer is absolutely not. Right, that's terrible. If you felt that, I apologize. First Corinthians 14, Paul makes it clear that there's an exception, uh, that, that there's, a, sorry, an expectation that men and women who didn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior would be in the presence of people that made up the assembly called the church. Paul actually teaches through First Corinthians 14 how to be considerate of men and women who don't know Jesus, who are in the gathering as the church gathers. Why? Because they were welcome. So let me be the first to say this. If you don't know Jesus, you are more than welcome here at Saul Company to be among the people of this assembly. You're more than welcome on on a Sunday morning to be among the people of the assembly called the church. So understand that as you come to church, just just know this, that we're gonna gather around the thing that we're built on, which is Jesus Christ. Just know that's the expectation when you come. So the church is a gathered people. That could stand on its own. We could say amen right here, answer the question, but we'd miss a lot. Because, like, what does what it do? Like, what is, what's it about? Like, what does the church, let's say it, what does the church care about? Let's look at verses 19 through 20. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will, will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. And then he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. All right, here's the second thing Jesus says about the church through these verses. The church is a gathered people who care about what God cares about. Let's hang out here for a minute because this reads like kind of really churchy and mystic language in verses 19 and 20, but it has a very specific and I think beautiful meaning. We have to do some work to understand. This would have made like total sense to the disciples as they're hearing Jesus say it because they came up in a synagogue-centric context and they would have known that Jesus was using language from what's called the Mishnah. The Mishnah is the first collected writings of Jewish teachings, sometimes referred to as the oral Torah. And the language of binding and loosing was used to explain what was prohibited and permitted. That's to say what is bound was what was prohibited and what was loosed is what was permitted. Permitted? Permitted? What? Okay. What's bound is prohibited, loosed is permitted, and it reveals what is most cared about in the context of a community. Think about it like this. 
If someone rolled up onto campus wearing Ohio State gear, you would bind that activity, you'd prohibit that activity because what are you doing on our campus? Like go away, you get mocked for a good reason, right? But we want to we wanna permit, we want to loose, we want to encourage that we wear as much Bucky gear as you could possibly afford. Okay, here, here's the point, right? These terms communicate what you care about. So check back to the text with this understanding of the language. Here, here's, what it's, here's what's being said. Whatever you permit is what's already been permitted in heaven. Whatever you prohibit is what's already been prohibited in heaven. This is to say that what the church cares about, hear this, is not something that we have to make up. We don't have to like make up what the church cares about. It's already established. It's received as we come to understand what God cares about. It's to say that what is cared about in heaven is what should be cared about on earth by the church. This completes our definition if the church is a gathered people who care about what God cares about. But it does raise another interesting question. How do you care about what somebody cares about? Well, you have to start by learning what that person actually cares about. Um, my wife, Molly, loves the Packers. I mean, loves them. And I'm sorry if you're a Patriots fan here, but like, how, that was a rough day, right? Um, but but a, a gr- like, like she, she loves the, the Packers. I am from Florida. I have no reason to love the Packers, <laughs> like none whatsoever. But while I was dating Molly, on my way from my house to church, when we were both working at the same church in Iowa, um, I would... <laughs> this is going to sound terrible. I, I would like YouTube like search, because I didn't care about the Packers. I would like YouTube search Packers this weekend or something. And just so I had something that I could talk with Molly about on Sunday when I saw her, because I knew she was going to, she cared about the Packers. I didn't, right? I did not, I, it should have been like, Rudy, didn't you like pray on your way to church in the morning? That would have been a good idea. I watched a YouTube video about the Packers. Okay, so like I, I it was just, and here's why. I knew that she cared about that, and so I wanted to learn what she cared about so that I could care about what she cared about. Why? Because I was falling in love with her. I was in a, oh, okay, oh, yeah, okay. Like, I was, but I was falling in love with her. It was the beginning of relationship. Caring about what someone cares about starts by learning what they care about. It starts by relationship. If we say that we love God, then it's the next next natural step to learn and to desire to learn what he cares about so we can devote ourselves to caring about what he cares about. How do we do that? Okay, so throughout the Bible, God has revealed through word and action what he cares about. So check this, next week when we start our next series, What is God Like? We're gonna look at a moment in scripture where God describes himself It is the most returned to scripture in scripture by scripture, the most internally quoted verses in the Bible. We're gonna study those for the next few weeks. And as we study what God is like, we're gonna come to understand what God cares about. How? We're gonna start with the Bible. We're gonna open up the word of God to know the God of the word. But you don't have to wait till next week. On the way out, we have Bibles in the back. We have a little sheet that'll help you read through it. Start in a gospel, and just as you study scripture, you'll start to learn or continue to learn the things that God cares about. Now, I could move on from there, but some of y'all want a few more handles than that. So, so I, I can't tell you everything that God cares about, but can I give you a few things that he cares about? Just, just from the text. God cares about our worship. 
Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39, Jesus is answering uh, when someone asks him, what's the most important commandment? He says that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, that you would love your neighbor as you love yourself. That, that Jesus is prioritizing that you would love God, that you would know God, that you would worship God. And out of a love of God would overflow a love for those who are around you. He cares about our worship. He cares about our singing. Psalm 96, 2 says, sing to the Lord and bless his name, proclaim of his salvation from day to day. God cares that we sing. Did you know that in the Bible, there's more verses that instruct us to sing than there are to read it? Like he cares about our singing. God cares about the gospel, duh, Rudy, but like, but John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he sent his son so that whoever would believe in him might not have eternal death, but eternal life. He cares about all people. Matthew 28, verse 19, go and make disciples of what? All nations, ponte ethne, every ethnicity, none excluded. God cares about scripture. Psalm 138, verse 2 says that he elevates his name in scripture above all other things. Jesus cares about prayer. He teaches his disciples to pray in Luke 11, verses 1 and 2, the Our Father. God cares about justice. Micah 6, 8 says, What, O Son of Man, is required of you, but that you seek justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. He cares about those things, justice and mercy. God cares about our growth. Romans 12, verse 1, don't be conformed by the, the culture that you're around, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God cares about our community. John 13, 34 and 35, that, she, that this is how they'll know that you're my disciples. Jesus says, by the way, that you love one another. These are just a few things that we see that God cares about. So the church is a gathered people who cares about what God cares about. I gotta pause again. I need to address the fact that several of you may have been in churches that decided to care about things other than what God cares about. Or that maybe you've been in churches that cared about some things that God cared about but excluded others to align with certain uh, leanings of people in positions of power or political positions or whatever and ignore other things. Some of you may have felt the opposite of care within the context of the church. In fact, if we're, we're just to be honest, that for some of you being inside a church right now it, it is a little bit uncomfortable for you. I can relate as I've been praying for you specifically, if that's you, you specifically this week, this story uh, came to mind. And one of the last times that I was ever in the church that I grew up in as a child, um, there was this girl that was my age and for no reason, um, we were just walking in, she turns around, she grabs my shoulders and she knees me as hard as she can. And like the mid section, we'll say that just to, to be not so graphic about where I was kneed particularly. Um, she knees me and like my, the wind goes out of me and I'm crumpled on the ground. She laughs and she walks in. And I can't help but think that maybe some of you feel like that's you in the church, like you're crumpled in a kind of a ball on the ground outside of the church left outside of it. So if that's you, let me say very clearly, I'm sorry. The church is supposed to care about what God cares about, not just some of it, all of it. And as it turns out, you and I are actually a part of that whosoever that Jesus came to live, die, and rise again to save. So guess what? God cares about you enough to send his son to die for you and to save you from your sin. So if you were a part of a church that didn't care about you or didn't care about what God cares about, I apologize. 
But this is what's at the center of what Jesus says the church is, a gathered people who care about what God cares about. Let me push just a little bit deeper. From here, what does it look like for us to actually do this? We know we'll fall short. Nobody's perfect, right? This, this whole grace concept in Christianity, none of us are perfect. But how do we attempt? How do we strive? How do we move forward? How do we care about what God cares about? What are some postures that we need to have as we read the scripture, as we come to learn about what God cares about? Postures that push us beyond the gathering being something that happens uh, on an, uh, in, in just like once a week, but actually from Monday through Sunday. Day. There's a number of ways to answer that, but I think there's two that we see in the text. That the church is a gathered people who care about what God cares about and seeks to live selflessly and sacrificially. Matthew 16, 21 through 23. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, scribes, be killed and be raised on the third day. And then Peter, good old Peter, took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. That's, guys, like that's, that's dumb. Okay, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, accuser. You're a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but humans' concerns. All right, this is kind of classic Peter, right after Jesus honors Peter for his confession that Jesus is the Messiah, Peter goes on and rebukes Jesus. But look at what Jesus says Peter is doing. Look, look at this in verse 23. You're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Put it in our language. You're not caring about what God cares about. You're caring about what you care about. Peter, in a word, is being selfish. Peter is hearing Jesus say, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, die, and rise again. Jesus is calling his shot. He's laying out the gospel. Jesus would die for our sin because we deserve death for our sin. He would rise to new life because we couldn't save ourselves. We couldn't take our sin away from ourselves, and we certainly couldn't raise ourselves to life. So Jesus takes our sin upon himself, takes it into the grave with him, rises to new life so that we might know if we put our trust in Jesus Christ, if we, if we confess that rock confession that he is Savior and that he is Lord, that we are free from our sin, that we're forgiven of our sin, and we have new and eternal life with Jesus Christ forever. That's what Jesus is saying is coming. And Peter looks at him and says, no. Why? Because Peter's thinking about himself. Peter has put a focus on his preferences. Peter is elevating what Peter cares about over what God cares about. God cares about making a way of salvation for all people who'd put their trust and faith in Jesus. Peter cares about what will happen to Peter if Jesus dies. And what Jesus identified in Peter is a threat that is still present with us today, selfishness, or perhaps an elevation of our preferences and what a church should look like, be like, sound like, or care about that's different than what God cares about. Interestingly, the solution to this threat is, again, found in the life of Jesus himself. Consider what Paul says about Jesus in Philippians 2, verses 3 through 8. If you're looking for a passage of text to study this week or to, to turn your attention to, this would be a good one. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. 
Everyone should not look to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude that is that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had become a man, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus' life is marked by selflessness. There is a constant giving of himself that marks the entirety of the life of Jesus. It is a self-giving that is seen all the way to the end when he gives himself on the cross for the sake of all those who put their faith in him. How do we care about what God cares about? What is our disposition and our posture as we consider the cares of God? We are selfless and sacrifice. Verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for their life? Jesus says, you want to know the way to experience the life that I'm laying out before you? Deny yourself. Selflessly sacrifice. All right, family conversation if you're a Christian. If you're not, you're, you're peeking in, that's good, but family conversation. Christian, what do you expect if you follow someone who sacrificed himself for you? Oh, I'm going to follow Jesus into a life that's constantly marked by cultural comfort. Then you would be following Jesus to a place that he never went. If we follow Jesus, how could it not be? that as we begin to follow, as we grow in following him, that we would not also grow in selflessly giving of ourselves for one another. Because whoever loses their life, gives of their life, selflessly gives of themselves for the sake of others will find life. This is the third thing that Jesus says about the church. It's a gathered people that cares about what God cares about and seeks to live selflessly and sacrificially. Can you just, just use your imagination for a moment. Can you imagine what that would be like? Like, if we selflessly and sacrificially cared about what God cared about, how would our lives be different? How would your friends' lives be different? How would the people around you feel loved? What would this community be like? What would your connection group be like? What would your campus be like? The city, the nations. I think... I can give you a word. I think I know what it will look like. It will look like Jesus. <laughs> it would look like Jesus. And that makes sense because of one final thing about the church that Jesus says that I zipped by, but I want to close us down with. We saw it in verse 18. Look back at the text. It's where Jesus says, I will build my church. So here's one last thing about the church. Jesus is the one who builds it. And because Jesus builds it, what he said about it starts to make sense because he builds the church to look like him. The church is a gathered people because Jesus gathers all people to himself. He unifies where there is diversity because he's the church's savior and he's the church's Lord. And he doesn't just save one group of people. He saves all people. His salvation is enough for all. 
The, the church cares about what God cares about because Jesus cared about what his father cared about. The church is marked by selflessness and sacrifice because Christ's life was marked by selflessness and sacrifice. Oh, by the way, we don't do that perfectly. Let's head back to Jesus who offers grace for when we fall short. Christ's selfless sacrifice covers us when we fall short and sin. He is the builder and he builds it to look like him. The church is at the center of the work of Jesus to form us to be more like who he would be if he was you or if he was me. So our church, our our question around the church moves from what is it to will we get in on what Jesus is building? So to close, I got a couple minutes, so I'm just gonna close right here. To close, I've got two words for two groups of people. To one group of you, my words are this. You can write these down. Keep going. I am... Emotional, okay. I am so proud of so many of you. Some of you I don't know yet. I can't wait to get to know you. Some of you I've gotten to know over the last few weeks. Some of you I've known for about 10 months coming up on on a year. I am so proud of the way that I have seen so many of you care about what God cares about in a selfless and sacrificial way. I am so proud. I can't say it enough. I'm so proud. I'm so proud of our student leader. I'm so proud of the team that went overseas. I'm so proud of how some of you made the decision to disciple kids on Sunday mornings as Doxa gathers. I am so proud of the, the way that you choose to sacrifice and give up time to meet with Jesus in the morning, to gather on a Thursday, to gather in connection group, to gather uh, on, on a Sunday. I am so proud of you as you continue to, to care about the things that God cares about in a selfless and sacrificial way. Keep going. I I can see what God is doing in and through you. Even though you fall short, even though we need grace, we keep going. I can see what he's doing as as you grow in selflessness and and in sacrifice, how he's making you more like Jesus, how you're growing and caring about what God cares about, how you're growing in a longing to be the people of the church. And my words to you tonight are not start doing, it's keep going. Keep gathering, keep caring, keep practicing selflessness and sacrifice. So many of you, I'm so proud of you. Keep going. To another group, my words are don't wait. Don't wait. Don't wait until you graduate or whatever made up metric is in your mind to get in on what Jesus is building. My fear is that some of us in the room are so intoxicated by the culture around us and I'm guilty we're so concerned with our comforts like Peter was that we miss out on the blessing of a life lived in sacrificial and selfless care of what God cares about. If the church to you has to be a cruise ship, then I would not be surprised if following Jesus feels incredibly frustrating presently and for the rest of your life because you're trying to shove following Jesus into a way that takes you somewhere Jesus didn't go. Tonight, I'm not saying that you need to go from zero to 100, but I am saying don't wait. Consider what your next sacrificial selfless step is. For some of you, the next sacrificial selfless step is for you to commit to consistently gathering with people. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday morning. Gather on a Thursday night. Gather in a connection group. Here's what happens. You can't move towards one another with selflessness and sacrifice. Oh, by the way, which is just another way of saying love. 
you can't move towards one another with selflessness and sacrifice if you're not around one another. For others, you're, you're realizing that even though you've grown up around this, you aren't sure if you care about what God cares about because you aren't sure maybe at some points in your life whether you learned what God cares about. Maybe you've always wanted to read the Bible, but you're not sure how or where, where to start or you feel intimidated by it. It's a big book. Maybe in this moment, now is the time for you to take a step towards learning what God cares about and practicing or beginning or reviving a practice of reading the Bible and of prayer so that you might grow in a care of what God cares about as you learn what he cares about. For others, you're present, but you don't participate. You benefit from the selflessness and sacrifice of others. And maybe the next selfless sacrificial step for you is choosing to participate where you're constantly present. Jesus had some stuff to say about that. We read it, John 13, 34 and 35, that people would look in and know that we are his disciples by the way that we love one another, by the way that we care about what he cares about, by the way that we sacrificially and selflessly move towards one another imperfectly, but just trying, just going after and following after the way of Jesus. What if on the other side of that selfless and sacrificial step is an experience of the life of Jesus in the church that you've been missing out on, that you've been longing for? What, what if it's right there? Please don't wait. Some of you look back on your previous experiences with church and frankly, they're not great. What if God wants to use you to be a part of the church and to lead in love within it selflessly and sacrificially to care about what God cares about so that the next generation that comes after you, the next people that come in the church after you have a different experience than you did. That's what he wants to do in you, through you. What if God wants you to be a part of helping to plant a church, to start a new gathering of people in a place who selflessly and sacrificially care about what God cares about? If you didn't know this, our church doxa is a part of a church planning network. We partner with churches in our network to plant other churches. So if you're a senior, what if you need to consider going to Lafayette, Indiana, Indiana, Indiana? Indiana? <laughs> what if you need to consider going to Eugene, Oregon? What if you need to consider going to Greeley, Colorado? If you're a junior, what if you need to consider going to Mankato or to Orlando? If you're a sophomore, what if you need to consider going with Jared in a few years to Milwaukee? So company, you could play a significant part in the future of the church that Jesus is building, but I'm begging you, don't wait for what could be. What part will you play in the church that Jesus is building? Don't wait. You're the future, but you're also the present. Every week I meet someone in this room, or every few weeks I meet someone in this room on a Sunday morning who says, we chose to come to Doxa because it's a church that loves college students. Please understand, you are not just the next church salt company, you are the now church. That God has you here now for a few short years. So how will you be a part of what Jesus is building in Madison? Are you going to be a part of what Jesus is building? Don't wait. I wanna invite you just to respond here for a moment. Um, you can close your eyes and bow your heads. I won't, won't ask you to do anything, just to, to sit there and to consider a few things. First, the church is a gathered people, so do you gather? Maybe you need to confess there's things that you prioritize over what Jesus is building. Sunday, Thursday, connection groups, you have a rhythm of gathering somewhere in your life. 
the church cares about what God cares about? Do you have a practice of learning what God cares about, remembering what God cares about, being formed by what God cares about? Maybe, maybe you need to take a, a moment to commit to saying, I want to read the Bible. I want to know, Jesus, help me to know what you care about. The church is selfless and sacrificial. And as I've read the text this week, I sat in it and I was so convicted and confronted by all the ways that I shortcut sacrifice and all the ways that I am selfish. God, help me. I repent. I hate it. I want to be more like you, Jesus. Maybe that's you too. More selfless, more self-giving, more sacrificial. Ask Jesus for help. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. I need you to go back to the words that Jesus said at the beginning. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say Jesus is? You're going to say that he's something. And if it's not Savior and Lord, then it's not correct. It's not the rock. Don't wait. Tonight, you can confess Jesus is my Savior and my Lord. You can come to him. You can bring your sin. Turn from it and trust in him as Savior. So how do you need to respond? Take a moment right where you are. Respond how you need to. And I'll pray and we'll sing. resurrection to give us new lives so that we might be a part of your people. God, would we be a gathered people? Would we, even as we sing here in a moment, sing because of who you are and because of what you've done. God, you care about this moment. You care about our worship. You care about our song. It's pleasing to you. God, help us to sing. God, help us to come to know learn what you care about so that we might care about it as well. Help us, Jesus, to be selfless, to be sacrificial, just, just to be Jesus a little bit more like you. Help us to know that even when we fall short, we can come back to you, that you're gracious and that your grace is a means of us being forgiven, yes, but it's also a means of us be strengthened. God, teach us to keep going. Help us to keep going. Strengthen us to keep going. Help us to be a part of what you're building. We love you. And it's in your name.